so the tooth fairy has rules in our house. As it turns out, there are, um, there's rules to this game, this, this craft of collecting kids' lost teeth. Evidently, on the current market, a regular tooth is worth a dollar. A front tooth is worth $2, and any tooth that has silver in it is worth $5. I know, inflation, right? You guys got like a quarter when you were a kid. There's a couple of stipulations also in our home that the tooth fairy has to follow, and that is that if the tooth fairy fails to pay in the first night, the price of the tooth doubles. Also, if the tooth fairy is ever caught in the act of exchanging the goods, the price of the tooth doubles. And this sounded like a lot of fun until I realized that the tooth fairy is six foot four, doesn't sneak anywhere, and falls asleep really early in the evening. So that equals one broke tooth fairy over the years. And, um, you know, I've got kids now who were um, setting traps to catch the tooth fairy at night because they realized that, that if they could catch the tooth fairy, the cost of that tooth or the price of that tooth would double. Or when they went to the, uh, the dentist, if they ever had a cavity, they, they were not bummed at all because they thought, I'm, I'm making more money on this thing. And they realized that, that um, as this went on, that what, what compounding interest means. The fact that if the tooth fairy doesn't deliver on the first night, that the value of their tooth is doubling every 24 hours. And so, you know, at a very early age, the allure of money sets into children. And you see it sometimes in the tooth fairy stories, like I joked about here, but you might be a little bit uptight this morning because you saw that we're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about money today, but I just want to tell you, you don't have to be uptight about it. You don't need to be uptight about it. Money is a big deal, and it needs to be talked about. In fact, we're called to, to make the most out of the money that God has blessed us with. And, and over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about making the most of the resources that God has given us. Today, we're talking about finances. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the time that God has blessed us with, how we manage our time, the talents, the gifts that God has planted each in each one of us. But today we're talking about finances. And again, I realize that for a lot of you guys, your finances are very personal. You're very private about them, and that's okay. So I thought to break the ice, to just kind of lighten the mood a little bit today, I'm going to share with you a few ways to know if you are frugal. How many of you guys would say right away, you're frugal with your money? All right, this is good. For those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'm going to help you to see if maybe you fall in the category of being frugal, or maybe you know somebody who is frugal. So if you have ever haggled prices at a garage sale, you're frugal. If you've brewed more than one pot of coffee with the same coffee grounds before, you're frugal. If you've ever used duct tape to temporarily fix a pair of shoes, you're frugal. If you looked at the bathwater to see if you can get another kid through, you're frugal. If you make your kids sleep in hats during the winter so you don't have to turn up the thermostat, you're frugal. And lastly, if your current pillow is actually two old flattened pillows that you shoved in one pillowcase, you might be frugal. Listen, money, money's a big deal. It really is a big deal. And have you ever thought about why it's such a touchy subject. Have you ever stopped for a little bit and just thought, why is it so hard for people 
to talk about their finances. We'll go to a, uh, we'll go to a financial advisor and, and open ourselves up to them. But you know what's ironic? I've noticed over the years, 20 years now of, of pastoring, when a pastor addresses the topic of money, people often respond by saying that he shouldn't be prying into their personal life. And yet they'll call him that very next week to talk about deep sin issues, relational conflict, all kinds of things, but money, not money, because money's too personal. It's the reality. Money is a big deal. Why is it such a big deal to us? You know, it's difficult to express all that money represents. It represents, it's the symbol of labor and enterprise in our world today. It represents cleverness and creativity. It's the means to purchase property, to purchase comfort or luxury, and it produces influence and it produces power. I mean, no wonder the world loves it. No wonder the world seeks it above everything else. The world finds its significance in money. Happiness and security are linked to it. It's the standard of value, not only for material things, but for man himself. In fact, it's the world's way of keeping score. The Bible also talks about money a lot. Over 2,000 verses about money and possessions. And the bottom line is this. We should have money in our head because we're called to steward it well, but we should never have money in our heart. It's the bottom line of what Scripture teaches us about money. 1 Timothy chapter 6.10 says this, it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Money itself isn't bad. Money's not the root of all evil. It's the love for money. Having money is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing, but when the desire for money gets into our heart, that is when it becomes an issue. Money should be in our head, but it should never get into our hearts. So Jesus made a big deal out of money for this very reason. In fact, over 15% of everything that Jesus talked about in the Gospels had to deal with money. If you took every time that he talked about salvation, heaven, and hell, and you combined all three of those, he talked about money more than those three combined. Why? Was Jesus after our money? Was Jesus after our money? Why did he address it so often in the Gospels? Well, I think Scripture made it clear. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 6, 24. Look at it with me if you would. He says this, no one can serve two masters. I, I think we get that. Either you'll, have, you'll hate the one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. So I think we get this. Okay, we can't serve two different people. You can only have one master. But this is how Jesus concludes this statement. You cannot serve both God and money. He's not talking about two different people. He's not talking about, who's, about having two different bosses or two different leaders in your church. He's not talking about who do you follow, what person Jesus knows how money works. The number one competition for our heart that God faces is our stuff. It's not someone, it's our stuff. And the reason Jesus spends so much time talking about money is because he knows it's the number one competition for our heart, for our time, and for our attention. And when we begin to turn to money for happiness and comfort and value, we become its servant. We cannot serve both God and money. 
See, Jesus isn't interested in getting your money. He's trying to keep your money from getting you. It's the whole purpose he talks about it. The whole New Testament. There's only one verse where Jesus actually asks for money. And in that verse, he asked to borrow a coin so he could make an illustration and he gave it back. Jesus is not trying to get our money. He's trying to get our hearts. And that's what we're going to unfold today. You need to know this message today is not about what your church wants from you. It's what your church wants for you. And we're going to talk about that. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 says this. This is a beautiful verse. Listen to this. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Sometimes we get caught up in the beauty and the poeticness of a, of a, of a verse that we miss the bottom line. Everything is his. And in that word, everything, are our finances. It all belongs to him. They all came from him, and we're called to steward them. We're called to steward them well. In fact, a steward is a person who manages someone else's stuff, someone else's resources, and they're held accountable to that owner for how they use them. They manage someone else's resources, and they're expected to use those resources according to the desires of the owner. God has entrusted us with a number of different kinds of resources. And as I mentioned, we're going to be talking over the next few weeks about the time that God has entrusted to you and how you use it. We're going to talk about the gifts, the talents that God has planted inside of you, how you use those. Today, we're talking about the finances that God has brought to you and how you manage those. So how do you make the most of the money that God has provided for you? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to dive into it today. We're going to call this the triple plan, okay? We're calling this a triple plan. Have you ever invested in something that you regretted? Have you ever purchased something that you wished you hadn't? I think we've all experienced buyer's remorse before in our life. We've, we've spent money. We've made poor financial decisions. We've made poor financial decisions. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. We certainly don't need to air those out today. We don't need help making poor financial decisions. We do need help making good decisions with our finances. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So with this, this healthy understanding, why Jesus talked about finances so much, because it was a heart issue. It's not a money issue. It's a treasure issue. It's a value issue. And we're going to be looking at what we do with our money. And, and here's where it starts. We have to put money in its place. We have to put money where it belongs. Financial expert Dave Ramsey said this. He said, the only place to begin in regards to stewarding your finances is with a plan, intentionally choosing where your money will go ahead of time. You put money in its place. You tell it where it to go. You don't let it determine your life and dictate your life. You tell money where to go because it's not how much money you have that matters. God is not keeping score with how much money is in your account. And I'll tell you this also, he's not impressed by it. What he is looking at is how you use 
the money that he has blessed you with. That is what Jesus is getting at. It's the heart of this issue. Proverbs chapter 21, 5 says this, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. How many of you guys like the word profit? It's a good word. Only three of you do. Okay, we'll talk afterwards. Okay, listen, profit's a good thing. What brings us profit? Diligence. Let's look at the rest of this. As surely as haste leads to poverty. Poverty, not a good thing. We don't want it. We don't want to be hasty. We don't want to wing it. We certainly don't want to end up in poverty. You got to have a plan. You don't just wing it with finances. You don't just wing it with your time. You don't just wing it with the talents that God has blessed you with. So here's where we're going to look. Scripture is really clear about these three key areas that we're calling this triple plan. Three key areas where God is asking you to steward your money. And most people spend their money across these three areas already. The problem is they don't have a plan. And I want you to have a plan for this because I want you to make the most out of your finances. So listen, here's what the world says. Spend first. If there's anything left over, save it. And if you've got a few dollars left, give it away. But I want to encourage you to give first, save second, and live on the rest. It's what Scripture identifies for us. A Christ follower would manage their finances by giving first, saving second, and then live on what's left over. Let's talk about how that works. The first thing Scripture calls us to is to develop a giving plan. To develop a giving plan. When you make a decision off the top to give a percentage of your income, when you make that decision, you align yourself with God's values and you're inviting him into the rest of your finances. When you say, God, you're first, and I ask that you would bless the rest, that's how we invite him in. A lot of Christians already give. The problem is that they give what's left over. They give what's left over. Rather than doing it first, they look in their wallet or they look to their bank account to see what they have left. And I want to tell you that you need to develop a plan to give. You need to make it your top priority to honor the Lord with your finances. Second Chronicles chapter 8, verse 7 says this. Second Corinthians, I'm sorry. says, but just as you excel in everything, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. We're not called to give leftovers. We're called to excel in our giving. You got to have a plan for it that you would determine ahead of time a percentage of your income that you would give to building God's kingdom. You've got to have a plan. How you got to sit down and decide how am I going to support my local church? How am I going to support missions? How am I going to support those who are in need? How am I going to to give the first portion of what God has blessed me with? How am I going to give it to God's kingdom? Listen, it's it's a fair question. It's the right question, and it should be the first question that each one of us ask. How am I going to give? I realize that this may be new to some of you, and I realize that it's very difficult to convince people to give away, to just let go of a percentage of their income. And yet that's exactly what God asks us to do. In the Old Testament, God told us to test him in it, to try him in this. And to see that it, when we invite him into our finances, that he would bless us. 
It doesn't mean you're going to get a check in the mail. It's not, it means that you're going to win Publishers Clearinghouse or anything else like that. But God would, he would bless your finances. He would bless your life to, to test him in this. And there's something I want to draw your attention to because we realize that there's a number of people who this is very new to. And in your folder today, there, in your bulletin, there is a three-month giving challenge. And it's simply that, that if you're at a place right now where you've never given before, that you would pray and you'd ask the Lord and you'd commit this to him and you'd say, God, I want to give a percentage of my income over the next three months. And I'm asking you to bless me. I'm asking you to bless the, what's, re- what's left and this isn't something that, you're, that the church is going to keep tabs on. We're not going to track it. We're not asking you to put um, like a dollar amount. and We're not tracking this. This is something between you and the Lord, but it is a commitment that you would make to him. Maybe you've never tried it before. I want to encourage you to do that. Why do I want to encourage you to do that? Because this is what the Lord asks for. It's how we worship him. It's how we put him first in our life. Again, money, stuff, materialism is the number one competition with our hearts. So develop a giving plan. Next, you need to develop a savings plan. Develop a saving plan. The average American is in his late 30s before he even thinks about saving. Until then, he's consuming 100% of his income. In fact, Americans average consuming 105% of their income. What's that mean? They lose ground every single year. They go in debt by an average of 5% every single year. It's the average American. One comedian said this, when it comes to retirement, I've got all the money I'll ever need if I die by next Tuesday. (laughs) Most Americans don't have a plan. They don't have a plan for retirement. They don't have a plan for savings. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says this, in the house of the wise, we want to be wise, don't we? Don't we? Don't we? Yes. We want to be wise. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. They've stored up things. But a foolish man devours all that he has. You probably would not argue with the the statement that our culture today encourages you to devour everything that you have. Everywhere you go, they are competing with whatever is left in your wallet Buy this, spend that, spend it all, devour it all. It's foolish to devour everything. You've got to be wise. You need to start setting aside money. You've got to start storing it up. Listen, this is scripture. You've got to make a plan. You've got to do this. Determine a percentage of your income and start saving it. And let me tell you why setting a percentage is really healthy. Um, Setting a percentage in your savings, setting a percentage in your giving is extremely healthy because as your income rises and falls, as it goes up or it goes down, so does the amount that you give or you save, and it keeps you in balance. You set a percentage, and you say, God, I'm committing this percentage to you and I'm, considering, I'm committing this percentage to retirement, and it keeps you in balance. Some of you guys have automated your savings, and I think that's brilliant, that you have it automatically withheld from your check and sent to your retirement account or to your savings account. Um, I, I do that with my savings as well because as, as disciplined as I am in my finances, I really like Home Depot. <laughs> and I could find a reason to go there every single week. Any men with me on that? I can find a reason to go there every single week 
And if the money is in my account, I'm, I'm tempted to spend it. I automatically have my savings withdrawn. I automatically have my, my giving withdrawn. I have it set aside. I determine ahead of time how much I'm going to commit to this. I tell my money where to go. This percent is going here. This percent is going here. It's a biblical concept. I want to encourage you guys in that. John Wesley, who is uh, such a, a, a well-known preacher and writer, and you probably heard a lot of, of quotes from him that sounded very uh, beautiful, very poetic, very spiritual. I want you to listen to this quote from John Wesley. Earn all you can. Give all you can. And save all you can. It's very biblical. Go after it. Work hard. Earn all that you can. Give all that you can. And save all that you can. Lastly, number three, you need to develop a living plan. A living plan is what we would call a budget or a spending plan. What are you going to do with what's left over? And there's some basic guardrails to this. They're not in your notes today, but I'd encourage you to write these down. Basic guardrails to developing a living plan. The first one is live within your means. It's the number one cause for financial problems in the world today, people who live beyond their means. Your standard of living should be at or under your current income. Live within your means. The second one is make sure that your needs come before your wants. In other words, make sure you've got food before you upgrade your cable TV package. You need to make sure, prioritize your budget to make sure that the needs of your home are met before you start buying unnecessary things. The third one is track your spending. Most people are just blowing and going, and they just find out where they ended up the month when they're all finished. Where did the money go? What did I spend it on? If you're not tracking your spending, you don't know when it's time to rein it in. You need to track it. And the last one is avoid negative debt. And there's all kinds of debates on what's negative debt. Here, here's what Scripture tells us, though. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says this, The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is servant to the lender. When you go into debt, you become a servant to that debt. You need to be wise. What is unhealthy or what is negative debt? And that means this. If you've got credit cards, set boundaries on them. Make a decision ahead of time what you will and what you will not use that card for. Be in agreement with your spouse on that. Same thing with debt, with other debt. Make sure that you've got a plan on what that looks like. Don't get house poor or car poor because you bought too much house and too much car and you can't afford it. Negative debt is something you need to avoid. Now listen, these are, some, these are four real basic principles that you'll find in a lot of biblical um, organizations like Crown Financial, Financial Peace University. There's a number of great biblical um, principles for budgeting that you can find. And I encourage you to check out those resources. In fact, we're going to try to, to uh, put into our um, e-newsletter this week just some real basic um, guidelines for budgeting. If you've never budgeted before, make it a point this week. Don't, don't wait for another week. Make it a point right now to find something that gets you started down the path of telling your money where it goes. And here's the thing. If you don't have a plan, here is what will happen. In fact, this is where some of you may be living right now. You will spend too much. You will save too little. And you'll give your leftovers. If you don't have a plan, 
That's what it leads to. Spending too much, saving too little, and giving leftovers. And I want you to have a plan. We all invest our money. We invest some of it in our future. We invest some of it in our present. And we invest some of it in our kingdom. And so you need to be wise in God's kingdom. We need to be wise and intentional to make the most out of our finances. So here's what we've got. The three things. Give first. Save second. Live on the rest. Now, what I want to do with just the time that we have left is talk about a, a principle here that is really important for us. When we, when we look at these other things with these, these triple plan, I think it's great. I think that you could get that from a lot of different biblical counseling advisors and they could tell you here's a healthy way to do it, here's a biblical way to do it. But I want us to really understand why money is a big deal. And we touched on it very briefly at the beginning, but I want to spend the rest of our time just talking about this, this treasure principle. And this treasure principle comes from this interaction that Jesus had with a rich young ruler. It's found in the book of Luke. And this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Lord, tell me, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus' very first response is, well, follow some of these Old Testament commandments. And the young man responds and says, I've followed all of those since, since I was young. And from there, Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue. Now, I love because it says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he understood the, the, the wrestling, the challenge that this man was facing. But Jesus looked beyond the facade and he looked right into his heart. And he noticed that there was something in his heart that was between him and God. There was something that had become more important. This man loved something more than God. And so Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. Go sell all of your possessions. Everything you have. And give it to the poor. Why was Jesus telling him that? Because he wanted his money. He was saying, get rid of the thing that's come between you and God. Then your treasure will be in heaven. And then come follow me. He was asking this young man to loosen his grip on the thing that he trusted and the thing that he treasured most. And it was his wealth. And then you see why Jesus immediately, verse 24, he turned to his disciples and he said, do you see how difficult it is for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom? Because they have a hard time placing their treasure in me. Listen, it's not a money issue that Jesus was addressing. It was a heart issue. It was a, a treasure issue. What do you value most. And so it makes sense then when Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What you value most in life is where your heart is. And that's really this first principle. The treasure principle is actually four principles that Scripture talks about. And the first one is this. My heart goes where my money goes. My heart goes where my money goes. It's a fact that money is valuable, and it's also a fact that you will spend it on things that are valuable to you. Look at your receipts. Look at your credit card statements. Look at your checkbook over the last year. See what you spent your money on, and you'll know what's valuable to you. Where your treasure is, where your value is, your heart will be there as well. The second principle is this. I should live for eternity. I should live for eternity. Most people, most people in this world, this culture would say, I, will, I would live for um, the moment. 
I would live for the now. Scripture teaches us to live for eternity. Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20 says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Jesus isn't saying to not have a savings account. We're going to come back to this. He's saying, but don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Again, Jesus isn't saying don't have a saving account. He's just saying recognize that all of that stuff is going to rust and it's going to rot and it's going to become junk. Listen, the landfill is a memorial to people's treasure here on earth. It's filled with the stuff that is so important to us right now. And Jesus said, don't build up your treasure there. It's like the game of Monopoly. When you're done playing, everything goes back in the box. You don't keep any of it. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Live for eternity. Have you ever played one of those games like Uno where the goal is to get rid of all the cards in your hand? Right? In America, we have this, this fascination or this dream to die with as many cards in our hands as possible. And I think we've, we're playing the wrong game. I think instead of trying to, to, to die with a big handful of cards, I think we need to be looking at what it is to really invest in the kingdom and invest in eternity. And here's our third principle. It's this, giving combats materialism. Giving combats materialism. So looking back at the story of the rich young ruler that I read just a minute ago, Jesus tells him this, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Scripture says, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Other translations say, because he had much. He had a lot. Jesus looked at him, and this is when he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Not impossible. He's not saying rich people can't enter the kingdom. You think it's, this is difficult because the number one competition for your heart is your stuff. The more stuff you have, the more money you pile up, the more of a challenge it becomes that your heart goes there, your value goes there instead of to the kingdom. So when we give, when we give the money that God has blessed us with. When we give, it breaks us out of orbit around our possessions, thinking that everything in life revolves around our stuff. Again, materialism is the single biggest competitor for Christianity, for the hearts of, of believers in the world today. And giving helps us to break that constant desire for more stuff. The fourth principle is this, or last one. God prospers me to raise my standard of giving. Most people would say, God prospers me to raise my standard of living. But God prospers me to raise my standard of giving. Many people's lifestyle chases their income. If they make more income, their lifestyle takes a jump. They'll jump up. Every time their income raises, their lifestyle jumps. But I want to encourage you, if you understand 
properly the role of stewarding God's resources, you understand that you don't automatically deserve to spend the extra money that God brings to you. Let me say that again. If you understand properly the role of stewarding God's resources, then you understand that you don't automatically deserve to spend the extra money that the Lord brings to your income. God tells us in his word that he blesses us so that we can be a blessing. And here's what I want to encourage you. And every time that you get an unexpected raise, an unexpected bump, an unexpected financial gift, that you would, you would pause and you would say, God, what is your purpose in this? What is your reason for this? Again, our natural instinct is to say, now I can get that new car. Now I can get that upgraded package. Now I can get this. Now I can buy that. But we've got to take the time to just step back and say, okay, Lord, it's yours. Why did you send this increase to me? What are you asking me to do with it? As we close today, I want to paraphrase this passage that we began with. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is speaking and he said, let's remember, we brought nothing into this world we can take nothing out of it. Those who have their heart set on money will fall into temptation. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And the, the desire to be rich can lead you to leave the faith. So command those who are rich not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything we need. But also command everyone to be rich in giving and to be generous and willing to share. By this, they will lay up for themselves eternal treasure and thereby make the most of life. That's what God calls of us, to make the most out of it. Make the most of all that he has given to us. And right now, I'd like to ask you guys just to take a moment to reflect. And there's a couple of questions I want to ask you as we wrap it up now, okay? What does your stewardship of God's money reveal about your priorities in life? What does your stewardship of God's resources reveal about your priorities? Do you have a plan for making God first in your finances? And lastly, this is the heart of the issue. Is my treasure truly found in God? Is my highest value found in him? Let's pray as we close this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us, um, the blessing of stewarding your resources. Thank you for the provision that you've brought into our lives. Lord, we acknowledge that you're the source of all of it. Everything comes from you. Lord, we ask that you'd give us wisdom on how to manage our money in a way that honors you and it fights against materialism. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us to just be available to be used by you as a blessing to the world around us. Help us to make the most out of our finances because yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness 
and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. All God's people said, amen.